Hi, I'm Dino Tripotis, and this is Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. We're recording it on a Wednesday evening, two days after Memorial Day. So call this our post-Memorial Day podcast. And I just wanted to take the opportunity, even though Memorial Day has passed, that's certainly no reason uh, not to still say thank you to all the brave men and women through the years and decades who have uh, served valiantly and some who have died valiantly uh, to preserve and keep our our country safe. I I can't thank you enough for your service. Uh, Memorial Day is just one of those days that, uh, that we do it. And sometimes the message gets a little lost in the shuffle. It's uh, people say it's the unofficial start of summer and it's all about grilling out, being with your friends and so forth and so on. But uh, it, 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 it should be more and it is more. So I just want to say thank you. It, it ties in tonight with our, our guest bottle, which I'll introduce to you here in just a minute. It also has uh, some military significance, if you will. I personally uh, have never had the honor or the pleasure of, of serving in the military. Um, I got close, but it was kind of a mistake. When I was 13, almost 14 years of age, I received a letter telling me to report to the recruiting office of the Marines in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, Now, we would have to call that back then a clerical error because the internet and computers and whatnot, though, around were were not as sophisticated as they are now. So I did what I was supposed to do with letter in hand and, and went to the recruiting office to fix the mistake. Now, you, you see me here now, uh, a 60-year-old man. Imagine a 13-year-old walking into the recruiting office for the Marines. And here's the thing. They took the letter and started the whole process. And, and, I, and I kept trying to tell them that it was a mistake. It took them a minute to realize that it was a mistake. And, and they kept talking to me about what was going to happen and what the process would be. And I remember saying at one point, um, you know, I, I came here on my bike. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to be home for dinner at like at, at, at five o'clock because I went there uh, after school to report. Um, it would have been interesting though, right? If, if I just would have said the hell with it and, and let nature take its course, I, you know, I could have been the, I, I could see the movie now. It would have been like a Disney movie, Teenage Marine. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, right, yeah. right. Uh-huh. I, could, I could see it, uh, the, a snafu in the, in the paperwork, and, and a young 13-year-old boy joins the Marine Corps. It's like um, Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And is now president of the United States. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, once they got that figured out, but here's the deal, man, those guys stuck to their guns. Once they realized that it was a mistake, they still spent another hour with me talking about, uh, what an honor it would be once I became of age to join the Marine Corps. You know, I was at that age where, uh, there was no risk of being drafted like some people had to experience. Uh, so joining the military was a choice. Um, I chose to go to college when I was 18 years of age and did not 
pursue the military, but I know people who have, and hats off to you. Salute, if you will, and thank you for your service. Welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey, and the guest bottle is freedom. Have a shot of freedom, is what they say. This is a bottle that uh, was created, this company was created by two veterans. Uh, Zach Hollingsworth and Scott Brown have put this whiskey together because of their love of whiskey. It's a small batch bourbon. It's 90 proof. Uh, It's got some hints of vanilla and some oak, and uh, it's pretty damn smooth, and it's popularity or its knowledge of being out there is growing it's currently available in ohio um california nevada and someplace else i cannot remember off maybe indiana possibly i'm not sure but um so we thought it appropriate tonight to drink and take a little shot of freedom on the program you can definitely, for those of you who are listening in Ohio, find it in Ohio liquor stores. And I believe this actually, this particular bottle came from California because this, guys, was a bottle that came from our friend George Caliotis. Oh, yeah, Georgie. Georgie brought us this bottle. And at the time, I, I said thank you, and I put it on the shelf. I did not realize the significance and uh, the story behind this particular bottle. So salute, if you will, to Zach and Scott. For getting into the Salute. to the brown Salute. liquor business, cheers, uh, cheers. cheers. Right, and thank right. you, cheers. thank you, gentlemen. We will do we will do it justice as we have what I consider to be an interesting evening in store. Greg Hansberry has a couple of things, a little bit of business we got to do beforehand. That's right. We always appreciate if you rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that kind of helps spread the word about whiskey business. But uh, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, that's, you know, TuneIn, uh, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, that kind of stuff. Um, Facebook, we always like the like the likes on the Facebooks and the sharing and engagement. Uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, Facebook Lives. Uh, we just did uh, one tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you can see uh, John Whitney's uh, irate uh, behavior <laughs> when he accidentally videotapes in vertical uh, <laughs> mode. There. Yeah, when John's irate, though, it's so it's he's so it's he's so even yeah. keel. Yeah, it's nice. Like John's irate is like me having gas. You know, right. it's, it's just it's just so sweet. Like, is he upset? Is he really upset? <laughs> you don't know. No, he's not. Really we have to know. burp him. Impossible to burp him. Is what it is? Uh, we're on the Instagrams and the Twitter. Uh, whiskey Business is on YouTube. We are uh, videotaping these. Uh, whiskey Business uh, show. Uh, whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Right, on YouTube. Uh, on YouTube. Yeah. So subscribe uh, mm-hmm. us there. And uh, we have all sorts of fun shorts and things there. So uh, that's, uh, you know, other than that, spread the love. Spread the love, which is why we have tonight a guy, once again, when it comes to certain guests, especially in the in the world of, of stand-up, and music and whatnot. When I've known somebody as long as I've known Charlie Weiner, who is our guest tonight, I, I can never remember when we first met. No, I, and I don't think it matters, does it? No. I mean, it's like it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Obviously, it was a comedy gig. It was a comedy gig. I'm going to say that it might have been a Sharon Rarick gig. Uh, very possible. I believe we first met on a one-nighter. So it was probably a Sharon thing. Yeah, and yeah then- when you say a one-nighter... 
a comedy one-nighter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You and I. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah that uh, means let's, something else yeah, to us. Let's, let's, be a little, let's be a little okay. more specific. <laughs> you and I didn't have a one-nighter. We, we yeah. didn't have a one-nighter. <laughs> well, we kind of did. I know. I know. I, I know. I was satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Let's be a little more specific. And one-nighters in the comedy world are just these gigs in the small little small, small little, town. Little, little town that normally wouldn't have stand up they they put you up at a holiday inn or a ramada or whatever the case might be right. and they turn the dining room into a comedy club and and boom you're doing stand up and that was uh that was a lot of my gigs in the beginning starting out as I'm sure it was for you still a lot of my gigs today really oh yeah i still you love, are, you know, i love one nighters in small towns cuz they're so happy you came because they're, they, they, they're used to everybody go, oh, you only see comedy in the cities or whatever else. And you come into these little towns. So one of my favorite things is this little town up in northern Wisconsin. I can never remember the name of the town, but you come walking. <laughs> there's not even a street light. There's a little mom-and-pop motel that you stay at. You come walking in to do the gig, and they go, we're so happy you're here. Oh, there's going to be like half the town will be here because there's only 500 half people. Half the town. So they all show up. They'll all be they here. They all show up. And, and they go, by the way, here's a little something. We got you. Because they, they give you gifts. But... This little town in northern Wisconsin is the home of Jack Links. So the, they gave us literally a bag about like like just filled with every Jack Links product you can have. And I was I was like almost crying. I'm like, I don't have to buy food for like three yeah, weeks. I was to say, this, that's like, this is road food that's here. That's sustenance for a stand-up oh forever. And they're like, you really want I'm oh yes, I want this. I want this bad. And it was just a really, it's just a fan, the small towns are just so, they all walk in, they pay their 10 bucks or 15 bucks, they don't care about anything. They're like, we're here to have fun, and that's the best crowd you can ask. Yeah. They're the, fantastic. The one-nighters, man, driving. The, the, so you, we, we would drive, you know, sometimes, sometimes you'd have a string of one-nighters, and they might be like uh, 50 or 60 miles apart. And that'd, right. be, that'd, be, that'd be an easy day. That's an easy one. And then the next day, you're looking at your, your itinerary for the one night, and you're like eight hours away. Right. You're, and all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're on the road and you're driving. So a big bag of Jack Link's products. Oh, yeah, because you, you could sit there. You're, just, you're driving for a while. Oh, you're, yeah. you're stopping. You just keep eating Jack Links and you're happy. Yeah, eat the Jack Links, <laughs> piss in a Gatorade bottle. You don't have to stop at all. You'll be. The, you'll, you'll. You ever see Crazy Heart with the? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, my wife always. She, the first time she saw it, she, when he gets out of the car and he dumps the gallon bottle out, she goes, "What's that?" I go, "You got to be kidding me! How long have you known me?" She goes, what? "She goes, he peed in that." I go, "Yeah, that's how you, you don't have to stop. You got the little gallon bottle. You stick it down there. You pee in it." And you, Close it back up and you keep driving. You keep going. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you're looking at me. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> would you? I mean, would you? Would you participate in that type of adventure, Hansberry? Uh, for sure, I, I would. Could you I, pee in a bottle? I've peed out uh, the side uh, of side of a moving vehicle before. Uh, sure. Oh, yeah. Look at you. What are yeah. the rebel? I know. How about that? <laughs> so yeah, I could did, do it, that. Did, it, did it flash back at you? Yeah, it was, it, got all, it was all over me in the side of the car. It was it was a bad idea. Forgot about. If I only had a damn gallon bucket. I'm telling you, the gallon bucket is the greatest because it's just that you know big gallon. You know, plastic, a uh, lesson, yeah, yeah, a yeah. lesson you should have learned early in life. Don't piss in the wind. Right. <laughs> Charlie Wiener is a stand-up comedian. Charlie Wiener is a musician. He's a songwriter. He's an author. Which incarnation of Charlie Wiener came first? Um, music. Music was the first. I started playing music in 1966. 19 Charlie Weiner by the way is 107 years old. I I forgot to mention that. That was an important Maybe thing it was to mention. 1866. <laughs> it was a while ago. 
Well, yeah, I started playing uh, uh, we, our first band. First time we got paid to walk on a stage. That's the first time we got paid to walk on a stage was 1966. 19... We had a band of uh, five guys. We got paid 30 bucks to do a, like a school dance. So we just got like five bucks. And we were like, we're in, we're in it. We're doing it. What we're was making the, it. What was the name of the band? Uh, it was called the Ninth Street Pier. The ni- and what, what, how'd you come up with that name? Because it was because we used to like the Ninth Street Pier in Cleveland. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's just you, know, <laughs> you just enough. trying to come up with a name for. And a you band. played guitar. I played bass. I was a bass player in it. Bass player didn't just, sing, didn't do anything. I just was a bass player and just stood back there and was happy to just do that. Just to have a gig. Yeah. Right. It was how great. Long, how long did the band stay together? The band stayed together till 1968 when I moved to uh, Milwaukee. Uh huh. And then uh, put a couple bands together up there. Uh, and uh, then I moved back to Cleveland in 1970, and uh, we put Charlie Weiner and the Fun Buns together. Charlie Weiner and the, and the Fun, fun Buns. And the Fun Buns. B-U-N-S Fun Buns. Let me ask you something. Fun Buns. I still remember that. Weiner is spelled W-I-E-N-E-R, correct? Yes. Yes. Because that's the Germanic spelling. Uh-huh. And the actual spelling of the actual spelling of Weiner W-E-I? No. W-E-I-N-E-R is the Jewish spelling of Wiener. W-I-E-N-E-R is is the like the uh, German or Austrian spelling of Wiener. I see. Austrian and you took you put a lot of thought into that when, I when you went with me, the spelling. Yes. I I have I have uh, because, because there's like there's uh, you're in not Austria. Ko- you're not kosher. No, I'm not unfortunately. <laughs> they, uh, although there is a story about that, but but uh, there is a, there is a very famous orchestra in uh, in uh, Austria called the Wiener Philharmoniker. And it's the W-I-E-N-E-R, Wiener. And uh, so we're going to hopefully see it when we're in Austria. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the Wieners, we stick together. Charlie Wiener and the Fun, fun Buns. Fun Buns. And that music consisted of what? Well, we, at that time, we were doing everything from, like, Gordon Lightfoot to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And then I, I said that we're trying to be, like, a, a kind of a real serious thing. And it's not my forte. I'm called the fun because buns. they because they gave me a guitar and told me that I was going to start singing and talking. And uh, there was one night in 1972 when uh, the other guitar player broke two strings in one song. Right. So he had to change the strings, and I wasn't good enough to play by myself. So I started just doing just riffing, doing this. Uh, I went on this really horrible like British accent and started talking about hunting tigers in India. Uh-huh. And I went through this whole, I was just making it up, and the crowd was going nuts, it was, for whatever reason. And I was like, they're laughing constantly. They're, and I did this thing where I was like, the, the, the tiger was charging, and I'd jump, and I just, I don't know where it came, I'd jump. I went up landing on the chairs, and it was just this great, and I'm like, and people were just going crazy. And they decided they liked the funny stuff better than what I was doing. So I just started like writing more funny songs and doing more fun stuff on and stage. And that's kind of the birth of your... The birth your, of the comedy. The birth yeah. of the comedy right there. Yeah. yeah, you said you guys wanted to be taken seriously. Hansberry makes a good point. You wanted to be taken seriously, but the name of your band was Charlie <laughs> Weiner and the Fun okay. Buns. Well, it was, you know, we, we wanted something that people would come and see. And so we thought we called it Charlie Weiner and the Fun Buns. People go, well, let's go see what that is. <laughs> and it worked for a while. And then they came and saw what it was and... And they didn't come back. (laughs) Interesting. You were making music in Cleveland when, uh, you know, for those of you that are from the the Cleveland, Ohio area, there was, uh, you know, Cleveland rocks. That's, 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 you know, there's a reason why the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is is there. You came up with guys like Alex Bevan. Oh, yeah. John Bassett, Michael Stanley. Yeah, Michael uh, Stanley Band. You name them all. Yeah. Were you, were you guys all friends hanging out together? Yeah. I mean, well, we became, as you as you were together, I mean, I we did kind of the folky thing for a couple of years. 
and then be kind of came known for being more of like a screwball kind of whatever. And then, uh, and then we put together a thing called uh, Rocker from the Tombs, which is now in a bunch of books about rock and roll and stuff. It's like supposed to be like one of the first like punk kind of type bands in the country. And uh, went on to form like the Dead Boys and Perubo and stuff like that. And uh, did you try to change with the times as far as the music? And, and, I've never changed with the times. I've changed with my with how I felt. I mean, I went from I went from doing like the folky comedy thing to doing this this heavy kind of punk kind of whatever that we were mocking other bands with. It was kind of a satirical band, and then they started getting real into it and real like they started to become what we were mocking. And so I got your, out. your band started to become yeah, what you were they mocking. Started, they started to become what the whole they drank, kind of, they had the attitude. They drank the like, Kool Aid. They drank yeah, the Kool Aid and became yeah, part of it. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I don't want to do that. So I the way I, the way so I who, cleansed who, myself of that. I who, formed a but country who would be, band. Who would be wrong in that situation? I mean, were they wrong to embrace? Oh no, no, no. I have no, I have no animosity about the way okay. they went. They got, they all got pissed off at me because I was like, I'm quitting because this is not what I want to do. Right. I want to do something that's you know whatever and uh, and so they were all pissed off and, and I, I always say though that rocket from the tombs the original band and then when peter lofton joined it the first five people of the band there are two of us that are still alive so it was the most deadly rock and roll band as far as i know of all time <laughs> The most deadly, or yeah, because dead. because we were because, because everybody died, everybody died, and then they then they formed like the the Dead Boys. A couple of those guys got killed, and then you know it's just like we were just uh, you know. If you want to play with me, you yeah, gotta want to. You, you, you gotta you gotta commit. You gotta you gotta. That's why I've been a solo act for a really long time. <laughs> you want to play like, with me? You gotta want to live. You gotta want to. You gotta. <laughs> you think there's you think there's times over the course of your career that you should have been dead. Oh, many times. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, uh, I can think of uh, at least a dozen times when I literally should have been dead. I get the, the one that stands out the most is uh, my oldest daughter, who is now 43, will be 44 this year. Uh, when she was born, of course, I, you know, we didn't go in the room back then or whatever. That was when they first started that. I'm like, I'm not going. That's in. when you. So my wife had the baby, and I'm just, I'm just. Just elated. I was calling my mother. I'm just weeping. Like, you have no idea how cool this is. She's like, yeah, kind of. I kind of okay. okay. got a little bit. Been there. I've done that. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> so then I went out and bought like a couple boxes of cigars like you did at the time. Went downtown Cleveland to all the bars that I played at. And just hand out cigars, drink and party and, you know, whatever. And I wound up at a place called the Viking Saloon, which was my kind of home club. Down there just drinking. And all of a sudden I realized I got to be up at 6 o'clock in the morning to go to work. And it's two o'clock in the morning, and I'm hammered. So I'm like, I gotta go. So I pull out on the 20th, which is like right at the corner of Chester at 20th, uh, downtown Cleveland. Some guy comes up knocking on my window, and he goes, uh, Hey, uh, you think I can get a ride? I'm like, Man, I'm hammered. I got a brand new daughter today. I gotta be up at six o'clock in the morning. I gotta go. He goes, You sure you can't give me a ride? I'm like, I would if I could, but I can't. The next thing I know is that I feel the barrel of the gun up against my head. Holy shit. And he goes, you think you can give me a ride now? I'm like, wherever you want to go. And he turns around. All of a sudden, I look at my mirror. There's another guy behind me, like, like with his gun pointed at the back of my head through the van, kind of through the window. And this guy hollers, hey, we got a ride. And <laughs> say what you want about alcohol. I was drunk enough that as heard of things, I heard the term ride. I popped the clutch. Just hit the gas, and all because I was right at the corner. I go zipping around the corner, and as I zip around the corner, I have this, 
and just took off. And it was like, all of a sudden, I was very sober. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was, you know. Being shot at tends to do that. Yeah. It kind of wakes you up a little bit. You know, so that was like one of them. I, I, I've had, you know, instances where, you know. Did you ever stop to think that maybe all they really wanted was a ride? No, <laughs> no, really. I actually, I, I, I you know, you're probably and you right. Forced, Maybe and I, you forced them to go to extremes. I may have been in the wrong on that one. I <laughs> may, yes. I may have overreacted. But again, I was drinking, so I probably wasn't can thinking you, clearly. Can you, let's 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 <laughs> let's go back. Let's go back for a second. And you know, now they're in the car. Charlie gives them a ride, and they're apologizing. Look, dude, we really just wanted to ride. We're sorry about the whole gun <laughs> right, thing. Right, the whole thing. Uh, it doesn't really, they're not even real. Uh, yeah, at, they're, like, you know, we're really sorry about gum. that. You know, you know, we were going to, it's just, just we're, we're like 10 minutes away. Yeah, Are I you apologize. from the fun buns by chance? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I'm wiener. I'm wiener. I'm not one of the fun buns. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but it's, you know, there have been a lot of times, you know, but I have decided that I'm immortal. And so that's that. Yeah, yeah, I gotta be honest. Really, I have to be honest. That solved a lot of the dilemmas in my life. Is that just knowing you're immortal? Well, you can so do anything. You, you're never gonna die. And yet you had uh, a couple of heart attacks. Couple of heart attacks. But then it's like I look okay. at heart attacks. What? Like measles. Like really? Yeah. You had I, a heart so attack. You had two heart you attacks. Had two heart measles, attacks. You had two, you're immune. You had two heart attacks almost. Uh, back to back, one on a Friday, one on a Sunday. Yes, yeah. but again, oh, well, a day in between. It I, wasn't. It was, I blame the Indians because that was the in Indians. Wait, the, Cleveland, the Cleveland, Cleveland Indians, Cleveland not the Native team. American Indians. Well, All right, okay. I, they came oh, like, in. That's they a whole came story. in right around that time, and I believe that some of the Native Americans were responsible for this as well, because, <laughs> okay. because I used to okay. drink with them. Okay, and, okay, and that that puts you in a bad way. <laughs> but the Indians got into the World Series in 95. My wife and I were supposed to be doing a trip. We were going to take a two-week vacation, just drive. I had these gigs booked out west, and then we were going to take like 10 days off once we got out to like Montana. Well, then the Indians get into the World Series. My wife's like, well, we're not going. I said, but I got the gigs booked. Everything's set up for us to go. She goes, they're in. We're not going. So I still do gigs. So I came back, and I got back on Friday night. And everybody had to go to work. And I told my wife, I said, all right, I'll come out and meet you guys at work. And the World Series starts the next day. And I said my entire life, the Indians will never get into the World Series while I'm alive. But here they are. And that Friday night, I'm getting ready to go out. And all of a sudden, boom. I'm right like, <laughs> so they, I blame them for almost killing me. Yeah, but that was a, that's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, it could have been, yeah, maybe. I mean, but then I, you know, then then they they came in. And they said, the uh, Saturday morning I get up, I have to go through these stress tests, you know, right. treadmills, stair step. Sure. And for whatever reason, they go, we, we can't find anything. You can go home. I go, okay. Well, you say I got a clean bill of health. They go, it's clean as you can. Wait, gonna no, get. no, no. Back up. You have a heart attack. Right. Then they give you the stress test. Right. They give you the and stress. And they can't. But the, the, but I passed the stress test. But but how do they explain away the fact that you had a heart attack? They figure it was a fluke. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a poor little wieners laying on the table. <laughs> you have to ask them. Because the thing was, they go, they go, well, you can go home. And I'm like, okay, well, then so I'm fine. So the World Series starts at night. My wife's a bartender. So I'll go up and hang out at her bar. You know, so I'm smoking and drinking and hauling beer till 4 o'clock in the morning. Because I have a clean bill of health. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Get up the next morning. We're sitting at the table. I'm having breakfast, of course. 
bacon, bacon. and eggs. <laughs> of, course, yeah, of course, yeah. Clean bill of health. I'm Clean fine. Right. Well, if they tell you you're okay. Does it okay. not concern you? Did you when oh, you had the heart attack? Did you go down? Yes. You went down. Yes. And someone said he's having a heart attack. Well, I was alone. Oh. At, I was alone at home. I had to crawl and get to the phone because we didn't have cell phones back. Then. Right. So I called and I go, Hey, I'm having a heart attack. I think. I think. And they're like, Well, what's going on? And I said, This was going on. And so while did you me, have all the luckily symptoms? the 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 the, uh, the uh, fire station was maybe a mile away, right? It's right down the hill. Just think they were going to be there two seconds, you know. So the guy goes, he goes, well, is your front door locked? I go, I don't know. He goes, well, if it's locked, we're going to have to break it down. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they break it down, whatever. Don't worry about the dogs. So they uh, so they come down to get me and uh, gave me some uh, uh, nitroglycerin. Uh-huh. And I started to feel better. I go, well, that's good, right? And he goes, no, that's bad. I said, but I feel better. He goes, if, if it wasn't a heart attack... It would have no effect. I'm like, so you're telling me so, by the fact that I feel better, that's a bad thing. That the I, fact that the that, nitro worked right. means that, yeah, right. you had a heart attack. So then, you know, okay. but whatever. Then, So you had a heart attack. Right. So that you get, and you pass the stress test. Yes. And then, so, well, very strong, and, then and, and then you, well, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> But the next day, because you pass a test, because you got a, a medical A. I got an A. You got an A. Right. You think you can go right back to the bars and continue drinking, smoking, yeah. have bacon the Indians and eggs. Were in the Indians yeah. were in the World Series. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The Indians yes, were yes, in the World yes. Series, you know. That didn't happen every day. So then Sunday, I got up and uh, I'll sitting at the table and just hit again. And I went down on the floor. And my wife's like, are you all right? I go, I don't think so. <laughs> so after the second time, what happened? Was so then a little, the was second there a, time, I go little, back to the hospital. A little more recovery time, I would think? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, they wanted to keep me a week. And they kept saying, you're going to be here at least a week. I said, no, I'll be out Thursday. And they go, no, you'll be here at least a week. And I said, no, I'll be out Thursday. And the guy because... goes, well, understand. Well, because I had tickets to the game Thursday night. And I've waited all my life for the Indians to get in the World Series, and I was going to go to the game. Okay. And he, I said, so I have tickets for the game Thursday night. I'm going to the game. I said, I'll come back when the game's over. <laughs> but, I'll come back. I'm going to the game. I just need a, I need a night pass. That's all. So then he looks at me and goes, well, maybe you should have someone with you who has like medical training in case this happens again. I said, if you think my wife's giving up her ticket just because I've had a heart attack, you might want to teach her CPR. Yeah. And so they gave her a little CPR, of course, and we went to the game. So you went to the game. Oh, yeah. Did you go back to the hospital the next day? Uh, No, I didn't. No, you know, once you're out, you're out. (laughs) Freedom! If they they fell for that. Freedom! (laughs) Freedom! (laughs) And no incidents since? No, no. No. I've been fine ever since because it's like the measles. Once you have it, you're immune. It's not the... You're immune. You can't get them again. Look, I've known you for a lot of years. You're a much smarter man than that. Now, so did you start to maybe change your ways a little bit? I changed bit? my ways for a while, yes. I got healthy, and then they went said the guy, Said right. the guy who's drinking said and smoking. Guy, I am him. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. Do as, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, <laughs> oh, I've had all kinds of stuff. Whatever. It doesn't, you know. So, uh, I mean, did you... You know, you're playing music. You're doing stand up. You're doing it in 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 decades that were very volatile and full of excess. Yes. Drugs. Yes. Alcohol. Yes. Did you do them all? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Back then. Oh, I started doing drugs back in the '60s, and I just 
you know, then I didn't care what. Temper, what was your temper. drug of choice back in the sixties? If you don't acid. mind me asking, acid. I liked I like hallucinogens. I didn't like pot. I never liked pot. Why? Uh, I just I didn't like the effect. I would smoke pot. And I would just sit there and wait for it to wear off. It just it just I, I think everybody has something that they like and what they don't like. Like you, I didn't like lewds. I didn't like downs. I didn't like what I like speed. I like hallucinogens. That's those are my drugs. Yeah, I I, I was uh, I was affectionately attached to speed in college in the in seventy seven. speed. Uh, and and everybody keeps trying to get me to embrace the the new genetics of of marijuana today because they are, they have everything so so evenly sectioned out for whatever type of of high you may need right. or want if you right. if you want to be functional and still just feel good if you want to relax if you want to be completely you know comatose there's some there's something for everybody now Charlie <laughs> yes there is and you know what and they can have it I have. Uh, I, I came to the uh, to the conclusion once. It's like when people try to maybe drink scotch. They say, well, you should drink scotch. I say, well, I've tried scotch. I don't like scotch. And they go, well, it's an acquired taste. And mm-hmm. I look at them and say, I think that throughout my life I have acquired enough tastes mm-hmm. that I don't need to acquire anymore, that I'm happy with the things that I have acquired, such as bourbons and, you know, and... So are you bourbon? Do you like bourbons? Uh, Bourbon is my drink of choice, always. And what's your favorite? Uh, Well, I drink a lot of wild turkey just because that's the one I started with. But then I also like like Booker's and and Woodford Reserve Mm -hmm. and uh, Buffalo Trace is uh, just fantastic. And uh, I've just been getting turned into a lot of little, you know, different things. I I just, this is one of my favorite bourbon stories. I was playing, I was doing shows in Vegas one time. A friend of mine came out to see me. So we go down to Bellagio. Were you opening for Elvis? No, it was uh, headlining actually in Vegas. In Vegas, in well, Vegas. And, and what? Uh, what a hotel? That was at the Plaza. At the Plaza in Vegas, uh, downtown. Back down in, at the old. Uh, that's old, the old downtown. Yeah, old Vegas. Old Vegas. And it was great. It was, I mean, it was a great old Vegas room with the with the big. Sure, thing. sure. Was, what year was, is this? It was the showroom you wanted. To we, work. we talk. Wait, wait, where are we at? That would have been eighties, seventies, eighties. No, that would probably would have been like probably late nineties. I guess at that mm. point, maybe, and. Um, so well, a friend of mine, I, we came into town because you know I'm working Vegas. And I like Vegas. the fact that you didn't blink when I said did you open for Elvis. Like no, no, you know, like, <laughs> not this no, time. No. I could have. Well, yeah, you know, if you want to get into, I was joking. Like, if no, you no, would no, like no, to get into the, who I've opened for, I'll be more than uh, no, happy. No, we, like, we can get into so, some yeah. of that. We but, can get some of that. So then we get down to the Bellagio, and I'm I'm like I'm cheap on the road. I really am. It's like so. Well, any man that gets know if you're. Any man that gets excited about a bag full of Jack Links, I'm oh, going yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> to assume, is a bit, is a bit frugal. And so I know as long as you're gambling, you're drinking for free. Right. Which is, you know, a good thing, I think. And so but we get down to uh, get down to Blasio, and the machines at the bar are like a buck a hand. Right. Okay, so I'll, I throw five in. Wow. Oh, 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 look at you. <laughs> Bartender, you know, I'm playing the longest hand of, 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 of draw poker you could possibly play. Find the, the bartender comes down. She goes, what do you want? I said, I'll have a, a Beckstark and a, and a shot of wild turkey. She goes, oh, you like bourbon? I said, yeah. She goes, would you ever try like Booker's? And I'd never had any of the high buck stuff at that point. Booker's and is she hot, goes, hot, uh, hot, hot. And uh, they, uh, so she goes, well, why don't you try Seattle ones? I go, I don't have any money. Or I, I don't have, I'm, I don't have that what kind of money. She goes, don't worry. And she comes over. She brings six, like six ounce or eight six ounce shot glasses or drink glasses, and pours some a little taste. In each one, not a little taste, like an ounce, pretty good amount. An ounce. A shot and, is usually uh, an ounce and a half, but an ounce of. Right. of Probably, six. I'll bet it was an ounce and a half in each uh, one. She goes, well, tell me which ones you liked. 
You know, so I sit there and I drink them. And I go, well, I like these ones, and these uh, these are the ones I like the best. I like these, but these are the ones I like the best. And then the funny thing she goes, so which one do you want? I said, I just did eight <laughs> shots. I think I'm pretty good right uh, now. Yeah. Even for me, that's, you know, I'm, I'm good. And they only cost me $5. And it only cost me $5. <laughs> well, plus a tip. You have to tip. <laughs> The only one better than that was I was, I was working in Reno. <laughs> you come walking out of, the, out of the club in Reno, and there was a bank of penny slot machines. Uh-huh. Well, you get done, you're like, it's 10 o'clock at night. I don't want to go to bed, and I don't want to play slots, but it's a penny, so who cares? You throw a couple bucks in. So I'm sitting there, and a waitress comes up, and she goes, what do you want? I go, give me a peck stark and a wild turkey. So she brings it back. I go, what do I owe you? She goes, nothing. You're gambling. I go, it's a penny machine. Yeah. So as long as you're at the machine, you're drinking. So a couple hours later, I'm trying to find my way back to my room. I called my wife, and my wife goes, oh, my God, you, are so, you can't even speak English. She goes, what did you do? I go, well, they were bringing me drinks. And, uh, and uh, you know, she goes, she goes, how much did you spend? I said, well, I had to cash out at $1.67 because I was getting too drunk. And she goes, you're that drunk at $1.67? I said, well, I tipped. I said, but uh, I know what I'm doing tomorrow night. <laughs> I cashed out at $1.67, and I tipped a nickel. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I jokingly said, you know, joking for Elvis, because Vegas, and, and like I said earlier in the podcast, you're 107 years old, so I could it, 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 you could have opened for Elvis. I mean, you, you, you seriously, you, you could have. You're not 107. I feel like it some days. But nah, that's you're immortal. I am immortal. Well, that doesn't mean you don't feel old. Mm-hmm. See, that's the nice thing about being immortal is it reminds you that you have lived a long time. So when you say, so when you, say you opened up for some, are we talking about some big music acts when you yeah, say? Yeah, mostly big music acts. I mean, I've opened up for, uh, well, I opened up for like like uh, Ellen DeGeneres and, uh, um, oh, what the hell is his name, George... Um, George Wallace? No. George uh, Carlin. Lopez? No, George Lopez. And, George, uh, Jetson, George, Lopez George Jetson. George Jefferson. George Jefferson. Jefferson. <laughs> Washington. <laughs> Wheezy. Wheezy. But I've opened up for like George uh, Wendt from Cheers. Starship and Jeff Beck and Eddie Money. Yeah, I'm more, and, I'm more you know, so the, the, as far as the comedians, I'm not begrudging the comedians. We've all opened up for right. some, for, for some right. big acts. But to open up for music acts, do you find that's hard? Do you, you find as a comedian, is it hard to open up? For a music act, yes, because they're number one, they're not there to see you. Not to see you. Number, at all. number two, um, usually they're there. It's it's a whole different thing, music and comedy. Uh, now I have to say it was easier a thousand years ago because people people really kind of come. It's like if you went to an open mic in the '60s and early '70s and stuff like that. It was comics, it was poets, it was music. So people went and they they just accepted the fact that anything could happen. Right. But then just be kind of came more narrow, more narrow. And one of the weirdest ones, although it was one of the coolest ones, uh, I was working with Todd Rundgren. And he was trying to do this thing where he was, the whole idea was that he was the band at like a beach resort. And so he had this whole thing set up. It was like, like a, the whole stage itself was a beach resort. And they'd bring people out of the stage to sit at the bar. They had a bartender. And they had all this stuff going on. And he would be, I would still play Todd Rundgren music. Sure. But then he'd be like, okay, we're going to take a break. Joy the comic. And then you'd walk on stage and you couldn't work to the crowd. You could only work to the people that were at the beach bar. Like you had to block them out and just work to them. Wow. So, and it was like, a, it, and the first time I did it, I looked at him and go, this can be done now that, I, now that I have like what you want to do. If you want to keep doing this, I can keep doing this. I can recall, I'm, I'm sure it was more than three, but I can recall three 
musical acts that I opened up for. I opened mm-hmm. up for the Righteous Brothers. Ooh. That one went very well. See, I would think, right, because it's a little... That one went very well. I was very excited to open up for Earth, Wind, and Fire. That went very badly. In fact, <laughs> I was working at the radio station at the time, and I did a review of the concert, which I loved, but in that review that I did on the air, I also panned myself. I said the only, <laughs> on, the, on the air that morning, the only weak link in the chain that evening was stand-up comedian Dino Tripotas, who never seemed to grab the crowd. Well, no, I'm not going to grab an Earth, Wind, and Fire crowd right out of the gate. And right. then I won a competition in Indiana. I don't even remember what it is. I still have the trophy downstairs. It's a big deer. It's a big deer trophy. <laughs> it's downstairs. It's Indiana. And then uh, part of it, aside from the, the beautiful trophy and some money, you got to open up for the Beach Boys. Oh, there you go. Yeah. At the State Fair. Yeah. I don't know. When I was in the State Fair, it was in some some arena of some sort okay. uh, when the Beach Boys were having a, a huge resurgence right. at the time. Whew. Not good. Not good. Nobody. See, the problem is. Nobody listening. Nobody. And this is my, this is my thing. This and then you got to do these, your time. All these clubs want to go to these huge places, five, six, seven hundred people, whatever. And people want to do. I, I mean, I've done, I've, I've done, you know, uh, up to twenty thousand, fifty thousand people, or whatever else. It's the fact that comedy is not a, a ten thousand person entertainment form. Comedy is. Two, three hundred people packed into a tight room. Is it though? I mean, tell that to some of the guys that are selling out arenas over the course of I the know, years. I know, but but my thing is, is that I think if you go to those, it's like uh, when I watch them, I notice there are some people laughing, but most people are <laughs> clapping. But did you, okay, and it's like, are you there for the though? claps or for the laughs? Are you, yeah, but isn't it different though? If if ten thousand people are coming to see the Rolling Stones and you're an opening act for the Rolling Stones, okay. Right. Tough gig, but if ten thousand people have paid money just to come see you, now you have a now you have a uh, an audience that is there specifically to see you. So, but I've also seen I've also seen where those people are paying as little attention to you that they came and paid fifty dollars a ticket for as they will if you were the opening act. What? Why? Then I why go? I don't know. Just so you could say I saw. Oh, you're right. Just I so saw, you could say I saw whatever. I saw, whoever, I saw right. Kevin Hart at, at the Nationwide Arena. Right. Or I, I, back in the day, I saw Andrew Dice Clay at Madison Square Garden. Just because you could say you went there and you I guess. were there. No, no. I mean, I just to, to me, it doesn't make any sense. I, I just think that I, I, I'm, I'm as old school as you can get, and I love. I mean, I grew up on when comedy was in a little tight joint down somebody's, you know, down the basement usually, right. and people were smoking and drinking. And they're packed in there, and there's an energy that happens that I don't think you get in a large arena. I think that when you can feed off of 300 people that are there, sure. and you can look in the eye of every single person in that place, there's a connection that uh, happens between you as a comic, them as an audience, that becomes just unbelievably personal. What do you think is your favorite, what was your favorite period of time to do stand-up? I mean, I know you still love doing it till we speak I still love today. doing it now. I mean, I loved it when it was in its heyday, because, I mean, what you was were just it, what working was its heyday? What was its heyday as far as you're concerned? I think the early 80s until, I know there was a little bit of a, a, a crash. There were No, there was actually... Uh, a bit of a renaissance of right. stand-up in the late '80s, and where where all these and that's where a lot of those one-nighters came from. Everybody wanted everybody wanted well, to do stand-up, right? And there were there were thousands. I mean, with a thousand, certainly hundreds of clubs all across the country, full-time clubs, right? Besides the one-nighters, I mean, you'd do three one-nighters in a weekend room. 
So you were working five, six nights a week, every night, every week. You, if you want to work 52 weeks a year, you work could. 52 weeks a year. There was and, work. And never miss it and make money. And you paid a dollar a gallon for gas and didn't pay for anything else. You never paid for a meal. You didn't pay for a drink. You didn't pay for anything. And I, used, I said, I used to do a stupid, unbelievably dumb, just, I used to, I'd walk on stage. And somewhere in my show, I'd go, you know, I said, yeah, I don't play golf that well. I said, you know, I said, to me, golf courses are like beautiful women. I said, they both have beautiful curves. They're gorgeous, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing on either one of them. <laughs> and it was a stupid joke, but, but, but I guarantee at least once or twice during the week, somebody come up and go, oh, you play golf? <laughs> and then they come up and go, well, I'm a pro. I'd say, if you want to come out and play, you come out and play, and sure. we'll come out and play. Do you golf? I got to play golf, yeah. yeah. I got to play golf all over the country for free. I played on a course in Tucson. It's north of the green fees, $175. We didn't pay a nickel. Just came out there and played. Nothing. It was great. So, you know, part, I mean, of but, the per- part of the perks. Yeah, it was like one of the few perks. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I loved it. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I think it's different now just because. Uh, how many weeks a week, how many weeks a year do you work now on the road? How many weeks? Yeah, I mean. Oh, oh I probably work, I still work almost every week. Every week. You're I mean, I, it's only, it's only a couple nights, but I'm still, no, I still no, work no, pretty matter, much every week. Yeah. So you're still out there. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, well, now, now it's summer, so everything has slowed down. So now music kicks in. So now I'm playing music. I'm up at Putin Bay every other weekend, and I play some other places. I do a little bit of comedy during the summer just to keep my chops up, and and then you go off and do whatever. Let's talk about the music for a second. Charlie Weiner and the icons of uh, Perseverance. Perseverance. Protest and other love songs. This one was recorded live uh, in January uh, 2017. I'm looking at some of the songs on the back of it, and these are all your songs? Yep. All Charlie Weiner songs. Uh, hell of a ride, beggar on the street. And, and, and I'm sorry, these are not to interrupt. These are serious songs. Serious songs. Well, serious I mean, songs. They, I mean there's not, you have to, there are songs. some that are lighter, sure, and there sure. are some that are like like beggar not on the streets. Beggar uh, on the streets is a song I wrote for veterans. Okay, it's Which a song is, I wrote for veterans, and Which? it's a, it, and it's like uh, uh, it, it's a song that's it's 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 about a guy that comes back. And, it, it, you know, it's like, you know, he served his country, served with honor, served with valor, served overseas, served his girl, served his country, served for his beliefs. Now he's just a beggar on the street, sitting on the streets, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like because there's wow. too many of them. And as you as I, I don't know, we'll bring it down for a second, but as no. you're mentioning Memorial Day and Memorial Day weekend, we always like to remember those who served and died in action. But you're also losing 22 veterans a day to suicide, right? Let alone the veterans that are dying from other diseases that they picked up in Vietnam, or they're getting old, or whatever else. I mean, my dad's 94 years old. What was your? What, why were you? Why were you drawn to that? Because you did you serve? No, uh, I was 4F. You're 4F. So that meant that they couldn't take me. Right. I was so, a medical so, deferment. So why? Why are you? Why were you? Because drawn I had a lot to... of friends. Because I. Because. Um, even though I was an anti-war protester because I was against the war, I was never against the veterans. And the fact that people treated the veterans so bad, and my thing was when they were like, you know, calling them names or doing whatever, it was like, I went to school with these guys. I grew up with these guys. These are my friends. Okay, just because they went over to war didn't make them a bad person. They, they, they didn't choose to go. 90% of them got drafted. Right. Okay, they didn't want to go. They just didn't have the medical deferment I did. Okay, so I had the golden ticket, you know, and so that was that was good for me. But these guys went, and for you to blame them, 
for something that was not their fault and and for something that that became a political war where you would not allow them to win the war Right. And I've always been a great believer. I am, I am an old piece, I, I, old hippie. I don't believe in war, but if you're going to go to war, you go to war to win. You go to war to do it and get the hell out of there. And in Vietnam, they would go in, they would take a hill, and then they'd get the call, get off the hill. So they get off the hill. Two days later, you got to go take the hill. Okay, now every time you got to take that hill, and they would take it six, eight, ten times. Every time you took that same piece of dirt, somebody died. And that just pisses me off. Because it's like, you know something, these are men and women, these are people that are serving honorably, that are doing everything they can, and, and the people that we should be yelling at are the politicians, the people you should be pissed off are the people that are serving in Washington, who 99% of them had nothing, to, their family didn't serve, they didn't serve, their children won't serve. And it just absolutely makes me crazy. But I have a, I have a question for yes. you. You get the 4F deferment, yes. but you also said you were anti-war. Right. So say the 4F deferment, doesn't exist right and you go and you get drafted or whatever right. the case might be but you're anti-war would you have served uh i would have i would have served in some capacity yes i mean i could have gone in as a conscientious objector and gotten into the medical corps or gotten into whatever or maybe you know or maybe they would have said no and and then you don't have a choice when they call your ticket you don't have a choice yeah you can leave the country you can go to jail you can do whatever but I wasn't going to do any of those. You, I'm not leaving my country just because I disagree with it. I would have, I, if I had to, if I would have had to serve, I would have served. Yes. I'm going to ask you a personal question. Yes. And and, and you, do you think because of the four F deferment was there and and because of what you have reflected in your music and in your passion as far as statements, was there any guilt involved? Oh sure. Yeah. You know, knowing actually, that your friend, your friends are going. My and, friends are going. You my got, brother. You my ca- brother. My brother was in. You call it the golden ticket. Right. Now, so golden ticket for me. For you. For you. Right. But is there guilt for yes. not having gone? Oh my God! Yes. And I said, I was. We, we have Netflix, and so I, I, I couldn't wait because uh, Bruce Springsteen was doing the one man show on Broadway. Right. And the the night that he closed the show, the the moment they closed the show, they showed it on Netflix. And I love Bruce Springsteen. I think he's just a great writer. And everything. So I run down. I put the Netflix on watching it. And at one point of the show, he stops the show. And he starts telling the story about in 1968 or whatever, whatever, whatever year it was, 68, 69, whatever it was. He gets called, and they, they went up dicking around. They did whatever, and they got out of the service. Now, they didn't have the four-up. They didn't have the medical deferment. They just got out, you know. And uh, he, always, he, he went out about how lucky he was or whatever else. He said, but, he said, I came to realize because I didn't go, right? Somebody else. Did. Somebody else did, and you have to stop and think of that. Because I didn't go, and I, I, I you know, I, mine was true. Whatever else, I, I had medical deferment. I could, they, you know, they wouldn't take me. And uh, what was which the defer- what, what was wrong Actually, with you? I, I had like bleeding ulcers and some other problems. I mean, How could such they, a happy guy like you have a bleeding ulcer? I'm strung a little tight sometimes. Uh-huh. You think? <laughs> Just <laughs> leave it. Leave you it. think maybe? Yeah. Probably where the heart attack came from, too. Yeah, probably. But, but, I mean, so you have to stop and remember that because you didn't, others did. And I had a lot of friends that served. I, I you know, and I just, uh, it just, I, I just believe that if you're going to send people over, number one, you keep the promise when they come home that you're going to take care of them. And when I hear people say we don't have the money to take care of veterans, it makes me insane. Uh, it's totally like if you don't have the money to send them, you don't have the money. If you don't have the money to take care of them, you don't have the money to send them. 
Uh, it's a it's good pause. Simple. It's a good pause for reflection. I totally agree with you. And as we are drinking the Freedom whiskey, thanks right. to Zach and Scott, Zach Hollingsworth and, and Zach Brown, uh, let's talk about this. Do you like it? Yeah, I, I do enjoy, like it. Are you enjoying can I, it? Can I, get a, can I do a real quick commercial while you're on here? Yeah, you can do whatever for you these want. People. Purple Heart Homes USA is people that I raise money for. Uh, and they uh, put it up. Oh, let, let, uh, let the camera a, see it. Uh, it's a organization that was started by two United States Marines when they came back from uh, Afghanistan and uh, Iraq. One of them was missing an arm and leg. The other guy was missing a leg. They decided they could either, they could either, you know, with their prosthetics, lay on the couch, drink beer, and feel sorry for themselves, or they could go out and help other people coming home. Of course, they're Marines, so they helped other people. What they what they started doing is they were building homes uh, designed for the disability of the veteran coming home. Then they found out like wounded warriors and a lot of other people were doing kind of the same thing. So they switched their focus and I love the fact that they were willing to switch their focus. So now what they do is they're going to the homes of like Vietnam vets, uh, World War II vets and the forgotten vets, the uh, Korean War vets. And it's like, like I tell people, I go, these are people that have, they're my age and older. So they're, they're like, an, they've lived in their house for 25, 30, 40, 50 years. That's their home. That's where their memories are. That's where right. they raise their family. They don't want a new home. They want to stay in their home. So now they go into the homes of these older vets, renovate them. Sometimes they need a roof. Sometimes they need something just so they can stay in the house. And they renovate the homes and the, so the veterans can stay there for a long period of time. And what what, what is it again? Let's see it again. Uh, Purple Heart Homes. Your website? Uh, uh, org. And, uh, and the thing I like about them is that each Purple Heart Homes chapter is basically like individually owned and operated. So like the, the group that I work with, Northeast Ohio, the money that we raise stays in Northeast Ohio, and they help Northeast Ohio veterans. It's a great awesome. organization. It's awesome. Fantastic. S- salute. Oh, there you go. Everybody. Salute. Hey. Here's to them. There you go. Cheers. Uh, we do what we can. Tell me this. Yes. Who's Kim Zonneville? Oh, some guy. Actually, I am Kim Zonneville. You're Kim Zonneville. Kim Zonneville. You're yes. Kim Zonneville. Yes. Not Charlie Weiner. Charlie Weiner no. is the made-up name. Charlie, yes, Charlie Weiner's a made-up man. This is this is Kim Zonneville here. I said that. Well, it's K. Adrian Zonneville on there because I thought that was a more watery name. Oh, is yeah, Adrian part of your name? Adrian's my last middle name. Middle name. So it's All Kim right. Adrian Zonneville. And uh, and I was I said it's so funny because people go, did it suck growing up with the name Weiner? I said have the name Kim, growing up in the fifties, yeah. right after Korea. Yeah. My grandfather on my father's side would not talk to me because they named me after a gook. <laughs> and I'm not making that up. And my uncle. When you Al, say "gook," you mean that's the terminology. That, the terminology, the right? I don't mean they mean. I mean that's yeah. what that was the thinking that at the time. Was, that was my that. uncle Al was serving. My uncle, uh, my uncle Richard, my uncle Al served during Korea, and my uncle Al was over there. And they were like, "How could you do that? How could you name him after?" Why did they name that? you Kim? Uh, my mother was a Roger Kipling fan. <laughs> Kim. So Roger because, is fine so in American. Because, whatever. My mother, my mother was a my mother's a literature person. Well, could, so that's why couldn't you been call, Why couldn't they call you Mowgli? Well, they, <laughs> there were so many other choices. So many choices. So many, you could have gone with Mowgli Bonneville. That's got a ring. You could have been Mowgli. Mowgli Bonneville. I've never been a Charlie Weiner. I wouldn't have needed it if I was Mowgli. <laughs> so anyway, so I said, as I say, I said, in order to do what I've done in my life. I had to leave Kim and become Charlie. Right. In order to write, I had to leave Charlie and become Kim. And what are the books about? Uh, well, <clears throat> this one was the first one, American Stories, was an idea that I had. And basically, it's about 
a young woman uh, who you don't know it at the beginning, so I'll give away some of it. But uh, her parents were like brilliant artisty types and literature or whatever else, but they were just dysfunctional as hell. And unbeknownst to you at the beginning of the book, uh, basically they killed themselves through drugs and alcohol and stupidity and whatever else. And so she decides she's never going to live like that. She is going to get, she's got the money, she's going to live be anal, she's going to live this, she's going to get the right. job, she's going to do that, she's going to get married at a certain time. At 37, she's told she's dying. Uh-huh. She doesn't know what happens. She's not a religious person. She doesn't know what happens when she dies. But she thinks what you're supposed to do is take your stories with you. But she has no stories because she's just been so focused on just the plan. So she sells off everything, gets rid of everything, and she gets like a second-hand, decent second-hand car, starts driving around the country because this is something that I have found, is that if you're driving around, you meet somebody. There is such freedom in anonymity because it's, 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 it's better than confession with a priest. What is? When you walk into a bar, you've never been to one, anim- you sit down and you start talking to Being anonymous? To somebody, or the, being anonymous. Because people will tell you their deepest, darkest secrets of who they are. And I think everybody has a life-defining story. And people will tell you that because the thing is, you'll be gone the next day. What's your So they can tell you things that they won't even tell the priest because they have to see the priest every week. Well, what's your life-defining story? <laughs> oh, I've had many. Ah, uh, but... I've had, I, I, but there's got to be one that rises to the surface when, I, when somebody asks that question. I think my life-defining story as to why I became what I became honestly was watching the Beatles at Cleveland Stadium. And, and just being mesmerized. And I, I have a thing about live entertainment. I've, I've, I saw the Beatles. I saw Hendrix. I saw, uh, you know, uh, Cream. I saw all kinds of people. And they were just phenomenal, you know. And I just think that. And, and then the first time you walk on stage, the first time, the second life-defining story would be when my friend broke his strings. And I had to wing it. And I got laughs, you know. And I found that nothing else mattered Nothing else mattered to me as much as walking on a stage. I am a stage whore. I mm-hmm. love walking on a stage and doing shows. And I had, you know, I've lost women because of it. I've lost everything because of it. And I've been very lucky that I've had a woman now that just digs what I do. And she, even though she's not impressed by it, I mean, she, she you know, whatever. <laughs> she, she loves what I do and she loves the songs I write and she loves the fact that I do it. And she is. Never thought I would be anything else, and she, and she accepted me as that when she took me on. What did you do before you got into all this? What did you, I mean, there was a, that, that, oh, had, that had to be a life-defining moment, too, when you quit. Did you have well, a, I, when you quit a I job? I had a lot of different jobs. I mean, I've done, I, was, I worked what on... Were you, what were you, when I, what did you think you were gonna be, you know, as far as, like, life has dictated that this is my job right, right now, and this is the path that I'm on, and then you disrupted it, you quit... And I decided to go into music and comedy. What well, were you doing? I eased out of every. I, the only thing I ever wanted to do was walk on a stage. Did you? But when? Did, since I was a kid, when you, I was small, friend of mine and I used to put on little shows in the neighborhood. Then I got in the band and we got paid the five dollars. Then I kept playing and I just loved that. And when I got thrown out of high school, uh, my what? father. Hmm? For what? My politics. In high school? In high school, you know, They didn't like my, you know, I was leading walkouts and things like that. So you got expelled? They, yes. So you're telling me you didn't graduate from high school? No, I did not. You did not? No, I did not. When they threw me out, and I was said that was in Euclid, and I would love to tell people this. I said, when I was in Euclid, uh, you needed, in 1970, you needed 17 and a quarter credits to graduate in, in Ohio. 
And when they threw me out, I had 21 and a half. <laughs> but I didn't have high school. I didn't have senior English. And I refused to ever go back and get it. You never got your diploma? Nope. Nope. Don't need it. Don't want it. It's a piece of paper. I didn't care. What do I need it for? You don't need a diploma to walk on stage. No. And that's all I ever wanted to do. So I kept doing And we, we had we had a little bit of success with a couple of things. Not, not, you know, whatever. But a little bit of notoriety. And then in... Uh, so the last job I had, I was a greenskeeper and whatever at a golf course up in Euclid. <laughs> greenskeeper. I don't know why Bill Murray comes to mind real fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty close. <laughs> as and far then, as, you uh, being, as you being a greenskeeper. And in 1978, I put out an album called 12 Inches of Wiener. 12 Inches of Wiener. Because it's 12 Inches, Charlie Wiener. It's natural, 12 the, Inches of Wiener. The, the, the record album, of vinyl. The record yeah, of vinyl is right, 12, 12 inches. Record, yeah. and, Otherwise, uh, you would have been a porn star. <laughs> and I, I, which there were some people on that were on stage yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, ran into Kid Leo one night, who was a top guy at MMS back uh, in the day. Back in the yeah, day. Back in the day. And in uh, yeah, yeah. he ran into me at the Agora, comes up, he grabs me, throws me against the wall. He goes, How come I got here from somebody else that you're putting out an album? Because if I don't have the album the first day it comes out, don't ever talk to me again. So the album got delivered. I ran them down there at 6 o'clock in the morning before I had to go to work, dropped them off with, with MMS and said, Leo wanted these. And uh, as I was driving from downtown Cleveland out to Euclid, they played a song called Nobody Loves You When You're in Jail twice. I walked in and I quit. That's it. And they were like, what do you mean you quit? I said, were you listening to MMS yeah. this morning? They said, yeah. I, I said, what did you hear? They said, they played your song twice. I said, I quit. I quit. That's it. That's all I needed. That was the affirmation right there. That's all I wanted. And, and, that, I, was, and that was the last day. I worked, March 16th, 1978. And that was back in the day when jocks could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, where, when where jocks they, could make and break. And the thing was that they wanted to. They wanted to make it. And they played the hell out of it. And they, I mean, they had me on. They did this. They did that. And it was like everything just, it's not like I ever became a superstar. Well, but, that's, I, but I got but to that's the point my, where now I'm making a living. And I'm, I am now viable that's my next question though did you think you were going to be a superstar did you no 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 no. you got you hear your song on the radio yeah dude that is oh yeah mind-blowing oh, yeah. oh yeah you're on the radio i mean you look at some of these biopics you know uh um uh, you know, uh, of of famous artists past, and the, the one that comes to mind the the quickest is uh, is Coal Miner's Daughter. Uh -huh. You know, uh, Loretta Lynn. When you know they're they're going from station to station to station, and they're putting and, 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 and then the songs are on the radio, right? And then like, so you have you have to think at some point I'm on my way. Well, and then and then I was opening up shows for twenty thousand people. Yeah, and then I was opening up. I'm opening up for Doctor Hook, and I'm opening up for the Outlaws, and I'm opening up for all these acts because number one, I was easy. I was one person. People knew who I was. They sang my songs. They knew my stuff, and I could walk out and do it. And it was. I have to say, you're in a place with twenty thousand people, right? And you're playing a song that you wrote, right? And they're all singing along to it. They're all. How do you not think that? <laughs> I am because I've never. I got to be honest. Because I'm, on, I'm on the shoot to superstardom. Do you want to know the truth? Yeah, because I've never yeah, believed the that truth. about myself. Because I've never been. And do you think that was a, a hindrance in the long run? Do you think? Because I think it, that it, I think that the fact that I was never a believer in me was probably the biggest problem I've ever had. Interesting. Because I've never, as much as, as much as I love performing, as much of a stage whore as I am, 
I have never, and I swear to God, I, I honestly believe this is true. I've never thought I was funny. I've never thought I was that good of a songwriter. I hear, I hear I've you. never thought I was anything. I, I really just, you. I just, people kept going, and it was like, I love to do this. You're allowing me to do this. I don't know why. And I've always just been unbelievably grateful that I've been allowed to do this because I've never thought I was any great shakes. I've never had. I never had that confidence. I never had that belief. I never, you should see me sometimes. When I was walking on stage sometimes, I swear to God, I, I was almost going to puke. I mean, I'm shaking sometimes. No, I, I, and to I, this day, 53 years on the stage, when I walk on the stage, I'm pacing before I walk on stage. I, I'm and, pacing. And, I'm, you see me at the... And my gut... And my gut is wrapped... And I'm doing five minutes. My gut is wrapped tight right. before I get that first laugh every time I go on stage. Oh, yeah. Isn't it interesting... Because I relate to this, that so many creative people are unconsciously their own worst enemy. We're insecure people. I think we're insecure people. And yet... It's like, and, it's like when somebody says to me, so are the books any good? I don't know. Ask me if the music's any good. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, 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 I loved writing the books. I love writing the music. I love doing the comedy. Is it any good? I have no clue. What, was it? Was this the first one? That was the first one. All right. So you 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 write a book, right? And everybody says, you know, everybody's got at least one book in them. Right. So you write this, but you finish it. Right. You finish it. You 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 write an entire book. What? Three hundred plus pages. Right. Here. How do you feel? Depressed. After it's done, mm -hmm. why? Because uh, because anytime I finish a project, I go into a period of depression. So why can't you f have some joy over the fact that you accomplished something? You well, I had joy for, for for a minute, <laughs> you know. But I mean, but there's always there's this you slide into this depression because you worked, you put everything you had, everything that you are went into that or that or whatever, and and when you're done. It's like it's like there's this void, this black void. There's nothing there because do you think because that, it's because it's done because it's done or is it, is it because it's done or is it and be, can I do it again or is it I was gonna say or is it because I don't know I got nothing left in the yeah. tank after this right because there's times you think I have nothing this, left in this the tank this might be my one shot right this might be. and then then the stupid thing was is that I actually wrote the I wrote four books in two years I wrote that. Then I wrote, then, then, then my father called me and he goes, hey, you know, but your mother always wanted me to write a biography. I couldn't do it, whatever else. He goes, you wrote the book. I want you to write my book. So I spent three months writing his book. And I don't have that in there. I, got, I, I forgot to bring that one in. And then, then after that was done, then I wrote, Carrie come to me smiling. And then I wrote great things. All right. So four books in two years. And I've got two more that are happening right now. Uh-huh. One of them is a comical look at being immortal. Because <laughs> right. I feel I'm the only one that could truly write it. Write what you know. That's right. Write what you know. And the other one's a children's book <laughs> about being <laughs> immortal. About, yeah. yeah. Now it's about my dog. Yeah. Writing, I'm writing a children's book about my dog. Does it bother you that? Well, let, let, let me let me backtrack. Let me because I had one question before that one just popped into my head. Do you think you're a good writer? Ah. I think I'm. I think I'm a pretty good storyteller. You think there's a difference? Yeah, I think there is. I think that writing is a different thing, and I think I've become a better writer. Than uh, I think that if you, if you compare, say, those three books to three novels, I think that great things is is a. 
don't know if it's better. I don't know if it's because they're so different. Uh, I love the other books, and I I I don't I, I think that the writing might be a little more concise, possibly. I don't know. See, I don't know if I'm a good writer. I, I think that people have loved these books, that have read them, and they've been very complimentary. I've had people tell me that they're like uh, great things. I had a friend of mine who is, uh, he uh, he used to manage Joe Walsh and the Eagles, and he used to do, and he's now managing bad companies. He's been in the business for longer than I have. His father was the, I don't know if you remember, 100 years ago, there used to be a TV show in Cleveland called The Big Five Show. And it was, it was kind of our own Dick Clark's American Bandstand. And so he's been in this forever, and he read great things, and he sent me a message that said, this just changed my life. That book? That book. He said, you reminded me of why I do what I do. He said, thank you. All right, so I don't know. So I mean, It's just to me, it's like if you, you don't have to make money. <laughs> Is that, to you, to hear that compliment yes. on this particular book anyway, Right. does that qualify as, as success? Yes. That's the greatest success I could ever ask for. So when you do a show and someone comes up to you after a show and they said, loved you? No. What? They, if, I, I, because... Loved you? Do you live in that moment? No. I, the thing, that I, the thing that, I re, that I respond to the most is uh, uh, because it's happened, and you've, I'm sure you've had it happen when you've done a show. So somebody comes up to you and they say, this happened today, this happened this week, whatever it was, and I didn't want to come to the show tonight. Because I was so depressed, because right. because I lost my mom, I lost my dad, I lost us, whatever, whatever happened, and for the hour that you're on stage, I forgot about it. I go, that's a win. I don't, I don't need any money. That's a win. I, I need money. But I mean, but I mean, but that don't tell that to that, the club manager. That is why when somebody comes up to you, I said I, I was doing a show at Cleveland one time, and this whole group of people come in, and it was kind of a music comedy show, and so I'm up there all night. I'm just and these people were just not responding at all. It's like whatever. So I, I still work on them. I'm having fun, and uh, they start to have fun. Start to have fun, whatever. So by the end of the night, they're having a good time. We all drink and having a good time. So I go to the bar after the show, and I'm having a beer. The guy comes up and he goes, "Hey, uh, I just wanted to apologize." So I go, "For what?" He goes, uh, "Well, we were a lot of fun. When we walked in." He said, uh, "We just came from my father's funeral. This is all about we're all the kids and everything else." And he said, and you wouldn't leave us alone. <laughs> and at one point, my sister looked at me. She goes, that asshole just will not leave us alone. Doesn't he know that our father died? No, no, no I don't. I don't. I don't know. But, then, but then, the, then the other one looked at me and goes, what do you think Dad would want us to do? And it, all of a sudden it changed. Now, is there anything better than that? Is no. there anything better than that compliment? Is there, is, is, there, no. is there any money in the bank that is that good? I can't think of it. I can't. I, when when something like that happens, it's just it's like now you're now there's no depression. Now you're flying along three feet off the ground for a while. Well, we're going to talk a little bit going. more about that, mm-hmm. the depression. Also, Charlie brought his guitar, and uh, because my friend, you have uh, made the. It's not a long drive, but the fact that you drove in from Cleveland, Ohio, we're going to make this a two-parter. Oh, so so we're going to yeah we're going to make this a two-parter. We're going to wrap it for right now. Okay. Wrap it for right now. And then for those of you who have been enjoying Charlie Wiener, know that in the week to come, there'll be part two where we're going to dig into a few more things. And music, you think? And music, yeah, where Charlie's going to break out the guitar. Since this is a whiskey thing, we're going to do a new song that I've written in the style of George Jones. Oh, even nicer. So we got that to look forward to (laughs) next week. So 
Um, we're going to wrap up this one for right now and, and not really wrap it, but continue it, if you will. And uh, thank you for coming down. Thank you for having me. Thank this you is for, just a ball. Thank you for hanging out for a while longer. We're going to take, like, it's, it's only going to be like a four-hour break okay. before, we, before we start talking again. Because the bottle's in the <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me remind everybody about the social media stuff. Yeah, too, remind everybody about the social media stuff. Uh, please subscribe uh, on your favorite podcasting app, uh, specifically iTunes. Uh, rate and review us right there. Um, we are on the Instagram. Uh, like us there and on Facebook. Twitter, YouTube, Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. And uh, this will be cool. You'll see Charlie. And uh, I guess next week you'll, you'll see, see more Charlie. Uh, I'm moving in. So uh, go ahead and subscribe now. <laughs> no, so. no, 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 you're not. <laughs> we're going to have, a, uh, we're gonna have a, a camera in your room for the next 24 oh, hours oh. so you can watch that live streaming. Okay. Uh, no, it's but, not infrared, <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's hot. There's something hot down there. I also want to thank uh, Zach Hollingsworth and Scott Brown for, for putting, some, putting some thought into their love for the brown liquor. We're going to finish off this bottle of freedom. We've had more than a shot of freedom. We've had the whole bottle of freedom uh, before this is all said and done. Whiskey Business is a Never the Luck production. Recorded on the audio side by Greg Hansberry. And on the video side with YouTube from the incomparable John Whitney. And our guest Charlie Weiner is going to be back next week with a little part two, some music, maybe some more serious stuff, maybe some more lighter stuff. You know what? That's the beauty of this podcast. We don't know. So, my friends, until the next bottle, see ya. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes.